the economy is not that strong, at least not from the things that I've seen. Hello, everybody, and welcome to this edition of the Crypto Basic Podcast. My name is Kareem Baruch, and I'm here with my co-host, Adam Ruthless-Levy. How are you doing today, brother? Hey, Kareem, what's going on? Help you had a good week in this uh, quarantine life? Yeah, it was it was interesting. Actually, yesterday I experienced a little bit of a quarantine birthday. We were stuck uh, indoors, but uh, oh, th- yeah, it turned out it was your birthday. Yeah, Happy 31 birthday! Thirty one now, thirty one now. Officially a part of the of the third floor. More officially, <laughs> I found I found thirty one to be a sweet spot. It's nice, like a, a good. It's a it's a nice cushy place to be because you're like, oh, I'm no longer twenty, and like you kind of have life like kind of figured out a little bit at that mm-hmm. point. And then I was single at the time, so I kind of realized like women liked older men, I guess. So like, I ended <laughs> up just like kind of like like I didn't I didn't understand you know at that point they're like, oh wow, you're old, like cool, yeah, but. Um, so that was fun. Yeah, yeah, it was cool. We did a little like a uh, quarantine party, basically talked with the whole family on a house party and stuff and, you know, still living that quarantine life. Yeah, for sure. So well, here we are. Oh, Brent is not here this yes, week. Yes, you guys might notice that there is a lot more room to talk, as some of our listeners would say when, uh, <laughs> when Brent's <laughs> hogging up all the conversation. So Brent decided that for the good of the show. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, Brent couldn't make it today, unfortunately. He had to uh, put in some extra hours at Wild Foods, our official sponsor. So instead of asking Brent for his daily joke, we're going to dive in right into the news with our rapid fire section, Adam, this is where you go over some of the uh, headlines that caught your eye to give us a kind of brief overview of what happened this week in the crypto space. Yeah. So Reddit, right off the bat, um, we all use it. I mean, I, actually, I mean, certainly I use it. I use it every day. I know Brent does. He's on there a lot with the crypto basic account. Kareem, for sure. Uh, it's a great source. Apparently, they are devising a point system on the blockchain. Now, this isn't hasn't been confirmed by Reddit, but a Redditor by the name of Meg Mago Crypto posted the, this video, which is like it's a you can we'll, we'll post it in the show notes, but it's a, a twenty second walkthrough of a new build of the Reddit app that shows a feature. This is Android Reddit app mm-hmm. for you, Kareem and Brent, <laughs> not for me an iOS user. We, this is where we yeah this is where we get the uh, you know the shaft, uh, but shows a feature with mention of community points. And then once you delve into the facts of the wallet feature, there appears to be pages on like distribution, wallet, backup, recovery, and on the blockchain. It's on the blockchain. So this is not confirmed. I know that um, multiple sources tried to contact Reddit to, you know, reach out to them. I mean, maybe this is something that could be doctored by Mega Crypto, but it seems like it kind of makes sense anyways. Yeah, certainly, certainly. And you know, that's definitely one of the platforms that I'm very interested to see how they keep developing on it because number one, it's got to keep up with the times, right? You either keep up with the times or you disappear in this rapidly moving online world. I love Reddit. I feel like the way that it's structured makes it much more uh, informative than let's say, other apps like definitely Facebook or definitely Instagram, where it's just about what you like. You know, the the upvoting system is cool. I'm definitely interested to see what they would do with, like, I wish there was, I, I know we've talked about this before. I really wish there was a way on Reddit to be able to say, yes, this is a real human being. 
And yes, they're this one person and there's no way for you to know who that is or even where they live or anything like that, but just some kind of more stability, you know, because screen names just get created constantly and then they get sold to troll farms. And then you don't know who, when you're reading comments, what's like marketing and what's political and what's real people. But anyway, this is cool. I mean, uh, for what it's worth, that just sounds like an issue with the internet. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Because like, you know, if you think about it, like Twitter or I forget what they called it. Maybe it's like a it's like an account bombing kind of thing where you just create a bunch of accounts and then like upvote. Yeah. Yeah. AstroTurfing or something. So it's like it's just an issue everywhere. I I do agree. I think this is this just makes sense. I I had this. I feel like the upvote itself is has been revolutionary for this is why reddit has been mm-hmm. so successful because it basically it was just a forum that they decided wait a minute cool everyone is just like talking back and forth but who's really saying the best stuff how do we know so an upvote is very simple invention yeah that innovated the forum. and you know what else too which i think gets a little unappreciated on reddit is different types of communities want different things right so if you try to institute like the the exact same moderation and rules on every single subreddit, then it would suck because it doesn't make sense. Like the type of moderation that you need on a political forum is different than the type of moderation that you want to have on a forum that's about your favorite TV show. And that's different than a forum that's like maybe a science forum or whatever, right? Ask historians. So I think the fact that all of these sub communities get to be have totally different rules. Some are super strict, some are super loose, some are whatever. That that also kind of allows the mini environments to, you know, for what's relevant, you know, on top of the upvote system, yeah. which is crucial, you know. For sure. And so to the upvote, I do think that it, why not have some coins tied in there yeah. loosely to the blockchain that you can then, you know, up. It's like now you're giving out coins, kind of like Steam. Yeah. And Reddit Gold, you know? Reddit Gold is supposed to be an incentive but reddit gold is kind of useless so if it for for the user you know it's kind of like it's really for reddit to maintain itself but if your commentary could actually earn you a little bit of money that you can not just benefit on reddit but like uh, some kind of like it said a tipping system then that definitely incentivizes good discussion yeah similar to brave you know the way that that works just like looking through ads. So moving on, actually, you did kind of mention one thing that has relevance in this article. Remember, you were talking about how we wish you wish you could identify. Yeah. So crypto funding dropped considerably in March. Kind of it's it's got like a I'll get to it. So obviously, because of COVID, things are kind of like a little awry right now. Um, a lot of funds are just everything is moving towards, hey, let's just protect ourselves. Let's self, like, you know, let's uh social distance, let's quarantine, even businesses, people aren't going to work. So it means there's just going to be less stuff. So VC funding actually um, has been reduced to March 2019 levels after COVID. But the thing is, is that in this article, they did say that, oh, there was a $300 million deal with Bact, mm-hmm. um, with uh, Microsoft, I guess. And that they didn't really count that. Um, I, I mean, I guess that makes sense, though, because like... You know, you wouldn't consider that maybe venture capital, right? Like a massive financial operation yeah. with like one of the most established technology companies. It's, it's almost like <laughs> like they're expanding an arm or something more so than like yeah. Ooh, venture capital. You know, let's try this new thing. Yeah. So if you don't count that, it went from 100, like I think uh, it was 175 in February to 117 million in March. And I expect things to, you know, get a little, uh, it'll probably be lower in April, hmm. but where the tie-in is, I know it's a long tie-in, so is 
the digital identity projects actually have captured a majority of deals last month. Um, that and, uh, of course, DeFi were the two big sectors in crypto that were getting VC funding. So, I mean, wasn't Civic, that was the point? It was like a personal identification yeah, the two, coin. The two that I can think of that had some type of relationship there, Civic was one and Ontology was the other one where you could have some kind of verification that the person, you know, like in the case of Civic, that, that was a perfect example because it was supposed to be able to verify that you have a government ID without necessarily showing the details of the government ID, right? Which is a way of certifying like, yeah, I am this. You can also use that just for accreditations or certifications. Like, yes, I do have this type of degree or yes, I do, you know, have that certification, have taken that course, whatever. I think Civic, uh, they did something with, uh, it could be, I think it was a beer vending machine where they validated the source of the, oh, of the, the beer oh, or something. Nice. I, I, well, that was just, a, it was like a fun little gimmick at uh, like a convention or mm-hmm. something. But I just remember that. And yeah, it, it was, it was kind of cool, you know, being able to identify all that stuff. So now we're moving on to uh, UFC, where former UFC fighter Ben Askren has been showing support for Bitcoin having. He's been posting about it on Twitter. Like he made his Twitter handle Bitcoin having May 13th. He also was sponsored by Litecoin back in 20, January 2020 for a fight. But unfortunately, it seems like he's no longer in the UFC. I think uh, generally for the people who don't know much about um, MMA, I think if you lose three times in the UFC, you're out. So maybe that happened to him. And also, it's not the first time that uh, UFC has been affiliated with anything or I guess. Yeah. So Dapper Labs in February of this year actually is working with the UFC to create uh, like a digital collectibles. They're building it on the blockchain, kind of like NFTs and stuff. But I don't think we ever cover that on here. But it's an interesting piece of, you know, just another big sports organization doing stuff with, uh, you know, NFTs. I know we've, we've talked about Formula One before on here doing that. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think the NBA as well. And uh, that's it for the, the UFC portion of our show. <laughs> Bank of America. So this is another kind of like this popped up, but it's now been the podcast from Bank of America where this appeared on has been deleted. So it kind of means that maybe this was true, but it shouldn't have come out yet. Okay. Basically, there was a question that was saying like uh, on the podcast saying, hey, next sort of uh, like five to 10 years, our clients maybe should start thinking about what are we getting ready for? And the guy mentioned something about built partnerships that we have with the likes of Ripple or Swift. And that's Bank of America with with uh, Ripple. That's a big partnership. And this is the transcript that I'm kind of looking at. Mm-hmm. It's long. I'm not going to read it all. But I think that'd be pretty interesting if all of a sudden they partnered with it. Of course, it's still Ripple really doesn't, you know, it's Ripple and then like the company and Ripple, the coin. But I mean. And who was this that was being interviewed, Adam? Or, or is this like an executive at Bank of America or? Unfortunately, it was just like something that popped up today. Okay. Uh, and it's like. It was just, it just said, I, I mean, I went to the link and it was just like forbidden for, oh, a, right, you know, right, like, right. they had already taken it down basically. Hmm. Yeah. But you know, I, it, it does seem like this is something that would make sense um, with Bank of America and Ripple, you know, because Ripple's like trying to process transactions and obviously Bank of America is too. 
So, yeah. And uh, lastly, April rent stats are in and they're not looking so good. So they're down to 69% of renters have been able to pay by the fifth. Dude, I don't know what's going to happen here, man, because like, first of all, the $1,200, like this whole bailout package or stimulus package that was created took all of this political, right? Like, okay, we're going to get this and companies are going to get this. People are going to get 1200 it, They still haven't even seen that money. It's going to take a minute. Bills are coming like an avalanche. And let's be real. How many people are really going to be able to cover their bases with 1200 Like 1200 You know what I'm saying? That's uh, <laughs> whatever. Man. That's like, yeah, no, that, that may be ha- for some places. Maybe that'll be doable. If you're in the middle of nowhere, that doesn't cover two thirds. You're paying five hundred dollars for rent. Yeah, exactly. Um, but one thing that is interesting is that March only eighty one percent of renters paid the rent, so it's down twelve percent from the fifth. But the thing is, is that's not still nineteen percent of renters don't pay their rent every like even in March when it wasn't necessarily but dude, see, you know, quarantine life. So this is one of the interesting. I'm definitely not going to pretend like I know a lot about this. I'm just mentioning some of the things that I've come across, right? And like in 2008, when the housing boom was going and everything, the underlying system was weak. And that's why the big short and everything shows how the people who actually looked into these mortgages, they were like, wait a minute, these people aren't even paying or their incomes don't match up or they owe so much that they can never get out of debt or people have already given up and are just waiting for their house to be foreclosed on or whatever. So they're looking at these assets that were being rated AAA. Meanwhile, the economy on Wall Street is saying, oh, everything is fantastic. House prices are the best they've ever been. We're going to package all these up into mortgage securities and blah, 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 right? And the underlying reality is that people couldn't afford it at all. And it was just waiting to crumble down. So here, this sounds like a perfect example of the same thing where, yes, nobody could prepare for COVID, right? Like this just completely puts the economy on halt. But even though it's a drastic increase in unemployment, even though it's a drastic increase in the number of people that can't pay their rent, it's showing right there already a bunch of people couldn't pay their rent. Already a bunch of landlords <laughs> are, were struggling with people who either because of lack of resources or because of – and I've seen um, analysts of real estate talk about how some banks, they actually like – they have this long list of houses that they need to foreclose on or essentially, but it's like – it's kind of like going down the line because you don't want to foreclose on too many things at the same time because it crashes the market. So there are people out there who haven't paid their rent in six months and the bank hasn't gotten around to foreclosing them. And they're just like, well, I'm not going to pay another dollar because I already know how this story ends. You know what I'm saying? So it's really like the economy is not that strong, at least not from the things that I've seen. So I do just want to clarify that this is April paying rent as in April 1st to the 5th. Mm-hmm. So it's like, not like, hey, you know, we don't, there's definitely a lot of people who I'm sure like stagger with their Mm -hmm. rent. So it kind of makes sense. Hey, the 20%, but even if you cut out 20%, that means, and we'll say 10% of that is, is exactly that. Now that's 10% every month where people are not paying rent. And that's just, I mean, that's just, yeah, that's not that healthy to begin with. Like you said. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And it's just. And even if it's not a disaster yet, you know it's an indicator, right? Like if you're already in a situation where you can't pay your rent until the 15th, okay, like maybe everything hasn't fallen apart, but clearly it's a ticking time bomb, right? Like maybe you get out of this, 
but also maybe things just get worse because you're going to be even more behind. I mean, you finally get to pay your rent on the 15th and now you only got 15 days before the rent's due again. Yeah. What kind of. It's that stat where they say, I forget what the percentage was of Americans that cannot do not have $400 in their savings account, Mm -hmm. but it was definitely in the double digits. Yeah. And maybe it was around 20% or something, but that is not good for the economy that, and even though you, so yeah, obviously we're getting on a tangent right now, but it's COVID, you know, like Mm -hmm. COVID is still very much prevalent. It's kind of overarching theme of our lives and this show right now, always. So I do think that we're kind of approaching maybe the curve soonish. But that doesn't mean that it's not going to have a profound effect on the economy, even if it does recover reasonably fast. Um, And I'm not a believer, I got to tell you, because, again, even though I recognize that COVID is a unique disaster, like I I get it that it's it is true that a lot of this suffering is because of COVID. But a lot of the economic commentators point out this is really the needle that's popping the bubble. Right. And just because this is the needle doesn't mean that the bubble wasn't a bubble and that the it wasn't going to happen eventually. People have been waiting for the U.S.'s economy to turn for there to be a recession. So I don't know what the expectation is that, it, that it's going to recover all of a sudden when you just said it yourself. Most Americans don't even have any savings. The other part of that equation is household debt is at an all-time high. Your average household has more credit card debt, more car loan debt than ever, right? Student debt. Business debt is at an all-time high. So all of these businesses need emergency loans because they were already barely floating by. Corporate debt was at an all-time high. So the idea that we're just going to shut down the economy, lose all of these service sector jobs, all of these all of these people are going to need assistance. I don't know. I just don't see the economy just like jump-starting. I mean, like, all right, guys, that was a rough three months, but you know, let's just turn the button on again and everything's good. Everything already wasn't good. And I think that a lot of what made it seem good was financial games and toys that are being played by the Fed uh, and the wealthy. (laughs) One thing that just before we move on is that even though we are printing all this cash, it does seem like it's going to just be, it really is just going to be put back into the economy as soon as things are okay and simpatico again for people to go out and spend money because we're just it's going to be a a massive kind of like rush or maybe not gold rush but yeah like a gold rush just get out there spend money go to events do this go to movies go eat do things that they love that they took for granted for so long so i do think that there but after that is where i think you know like so let's say that let's say memorial day weekend or whatever is when things are cool like there's going to be a boom. It's going to be a month. It's going to be great. And then after that, things are going to be like, oh, wait, we now need money again. And maybe that's when inflation kicks in or something. Maybe. Maybe. I uh, I hope so. I do think that any money that you put into the hands of the bottom 50% of Americans in the income ladder, it's all going to get spent immediately. I mean, it's almost all going to go to rent and necessities. So if it's all going to rent and necessities, that means that we're keeping the economy's minimum sustainability going almost, you know, where like people are paying just what they need to live. And I think that there's still going to be a little bit of fear about COVID. So maybe things like concerts and movies and stuff like that won't be as ready to go, even though people will miss it, you know? 
Uh, but anyway, we'll, we're going to keep a close eye on yeah. it. It's, it's hard to predict. Nobody has seen this situation before, right? Both, but it's both like yep. pandemically wise, but also even financially. Like, has there really ever been a situation where the world got to an economic crisis and every central bank was already at zero interest or negative interest rates? Have we seen this level of quantitative easing? Have we seen this level of debt? Eh, maybe not in the modern world. You know, I asked my dad uh, point blank, like, "Hey, he's he he's turning seventy actually this month," and I was like, "Have you has there been anything like this since you've been alive? Like, you know, any type of situation that you who's just like straight up no? Yep. Like there is just this is and that's seventy years, you know, or yeah. we'll say sixty sixty five where you remember stuff, you know? Um, yeah, that's a long but, time. Yeah, yeah, exactly." This is like once in a generation type stuff. Yeah. And uh, now it's time to move on to uh, we want to talk about wild foods and our sponsors over there. Thanks for sponsoring us. We appreciate it. I love their Cocoa Tropic blend that I take uh, in the morning. It really boosts my kind of like cognitive function, I guess, to an extent. I probably should have taken it today, (laughs) but, you know, I'm plumb out. But yeah, Wild Foods, they've got great coffee. They've got a lot of other great stuff like fish oil. And I uh, highly recommend you checking out their stuff. They're also the reason that Brent isn't here today. So we owe them a little debt of gratitude. Go buy that coffee. <laughs> Just Thanks, Wild Foods. <laughs> kidding, kidding, kidding. All right, fam. So I want to kind of change it a little bit back to crypto, Adam. I stumbled across this article and I felt like it was a good thing for us to discuss because it's a topic that we constantly reference on the show, which is how does cryptocurrency transition into real world applications, real uses? How is the, let's say not investor mania part of this, but the technology side of this developing? So this article just looks at a couple of real examples that have developed that are happening right now. So specifically, most of these seem to go around the fact that blockchain is really good for what? Data collection, storage, and sharing data in a transparent, secure way, right? So this is an article from Security Boulevard. It's a cybersecurity website. And they start off with the first example, which is the U.S. Air Force. Turns out that the U.S. Air Force has contracted a data security, a cybersecurity firm called uh, Sage Security with an X, X-A-G-E. But essentially, a lot of the military computer networks are centralized systems where you have thousands of computers that are connecting to like one centralized, uh, you know, computer or information system. So that makes it very vulnerable to cyber attacks, computers that could just hop on the network and try to do something. So this cybersecurity firm uses a blockchain based system to regulate the rules by which nodes that want to join, hop in, operate, and they also track their activity. So essentially makes all the participants in the network a little bit more transparent by using blockchain technology and limiting what they can do. So this is the US Air Force, and that's one application. So there is a coin called Constellations that actually did do, I, I remember t- we actually talked about it a year and a half ago. They did a partnership with the U.S. Air Force that was aimed to help automate the Air, Air Force, Armed Forces big data management. Hmm. So I don't know if there's any, this was a year and a half ago. Yeah, so, it could be the, it mean, could be like a sub-company of the company or maybe the, these people beat, beat them out or maybe they're working in conjunction. Maybe, yeah, maybe. But I mean, you're like, to your point, data management for the for the Air Force is a massive issue. Right, right. A hundred percent. Another 
industry that's benefiting from this is actually uh, charity, because one of the biggest problems that charities stumble across is trust, right? Like if you're donating to a charity, you want to know that your money is being well spent. You want to know how that's being allocated, that it's actually doing good. And it's not just going into executive pockets or being spent uh, frivolously. Is it making it to the charity? Exactly. You know, is it making it to Are you to helping the your cause? Exactly. Yes. So there is a platform right now called GiveTrack. And essentially what it does is it allows you to track the specific donation all the way until you get to see how it was spent and have an idea of the impact that your donation was making. And it also has the added benefit that by donating on a cryptocurrency, it actually makes cross-border transfer really easy, right? Because you could just do it right on the blockchain. So that's another example where you could see as the future develops, if this is able to prove itself more and more, why not donate through a charity where you can literally track the specific benefits of your money? Like, oh, look, this is what I donated. They took this much out to do some overhead. And these people here got the money, which is exactly what I wanted. <laughs> I I think there's a uh, poker. You ever, you know, I think it's Reg Charity. Mm. Um, it's for it's called Raising for Effective Giving. So it's similar. Obviously, it's, it's not on the you know. There's no no crypto aside, tied with. There's no blockchain element, but it is something that it's called effective altruism. Mm. I think is what they like stuff like this is called because it's you know it's like hey let's be effective right. when we're giving money. Yeah, you know. So that that does seem like a good use case for sure. Um, another use case uh, or another application has been Visa, actually. They launched a business-to-business payment network that uses blockchain processing so that you can have payments between two businesses without a third party at all. Visa just provides the platform, but they don't have to oversee the transaction. And apparently, they already launched this in 60 countries. They're going to try to be at 100, but... You know, even the big financial payment, you know, people always assume like, oh, Visa is going to hate blockchain or try to shut it down. It's like, yeah, okay. Or they just apply the technology, right? Like when the internet came along, most businesses, once they figured out that, hey, this internet thing's for real, they just hire someone to build a website for them. So (laughs) uh, these guys aren't just going to sit on the side watching the blockchains develop by themselves. This one was super interesting, Adam. I didn't know. I use Spotify all the time and I've actually wondered before how their royalty system works. And uh, either I forgot or I never realized that Spotify actually uses blockchain. So the industry shifted. We know that the music industry shifted from it used to be downloads to now it's streaming. So you can imagine that that makes royalties really, really complicated, right? Because I pay $12 a month to Spotify and I could listen to a list, sometimes random, sometimes generated, sometimes not. That's it's pretty tough to tell, right? I'm sure that's complicated. And you have to remember also, it's not just artists, but sometimes production companies get a share or like maybe somebody who wrote the song or participated in the song or, you know, who knows how it is. So there was a company called Media Chain um, which originally was an open media library. So this was a place where artists could go and basically virtually sign and timestamp their creations. But upon all this turmoil that Spotify was going through, they bought it and now they use it essentially with smart contracts to improve the attribution of music. So essentially artists are able to register and identify and track 
their creative uh, works. And Spotify is able to have some kind of record that shows, okay, you know, this is the distribution and this is why it's going this way and not be, you know, cut up all the time having these battles. Wow, that is that is super cool. Yeah. I uh I, I actually have a friend who he's a musician and musician producer. He's got songs up on Spotify and he's always trying to tout his plays and stuff. And it's it's good music for sure. But he was very against having to use Spotify because apparently the royalties uh kind of I could see it being very diluted. Yeah, You're course. paying twelve dollars a month. Of course. What are you gonna get like point oh oh one percent or something exactly. of a play? And, and you have to divide it by usage, right? Like my money that's going to Spotify, which like let's say it's fifteen, whatever it is, twelve, fifteen, you have to maintain the app. So you some of the money has to go to coders, some of the money has to go to designers, you know, make it the app easy for me to use, make sure it's uh, all the stuff write the algorithms that are going to suggest more songs. So all of that has to come out of it. And then on top of that, I'm listening to all kinds of artists and all kinds of songs. So how much money really profit is left to be divided up? Probably not that much. The problem is that the alternative is if you don't give us something like this, people are just going to rip off music. We just live in a different time. <laughs> so yeah, it's weird for sure. But that's pretty cool. I'll have to look into Media Chain. I just looked at the website. It, it it immediately has like, hey, this is how it works on the website. And it looks, I mean, that's a that's a good buy by Spotify. Yeah, I got you know. I was surprised about this. I really didn't smart. know. I'm gonna look into Media Chain as well. It sounds pretty cool. And look, it also shows that you don't know how some things are gonna develop because again, it was just meant as a library for artists to kind of stamp it and be able to say, hey, this is where it belongs. Maybe they didn't know at that time. Hey, some music giant's going to come and look at this and say, hey, this is a great way to organize who made what. Let me just buy it and actually use it, you know? <laughs> For sure. So, and one more use here is with insurance, Adam. And this one I also thought was pretty interesting. MetLife, the life insurance company or medical insurance company, at least their Singapore-based operation, apparently, I don't know how common this is in the rest of the world. But apparently in Singapore, it's very, very common for women to develop gestational diabetes when they get pregnant. It's It happens so often that about 20% of women who get pregnant in Singapore end up with gestational diabetes. So apparently it's kind of a pain in the ass from a paperwork perspective, from a maintenance perspective, if it happens so often to have to go through a bunch of work to deal with it. So they developed an app um, which I wasn't very clear exactly where the blockchain part came in. I'm sure it's verifying the authenticity, but essentially you go to your practitioner, the woman goes to her practitioner, and the moment that they get a positive result for gestational diabetes, the practitioner inputs that data into the patient's medical history or medical data. And as soon as the system sees that the positive test has been included in her medical data, it automatically releases a payment into her bank account to help her pay for the expenses. So it's almost like an automatic insurance claim that they don't even want to go through all the paperwork and verify and everything. They just want to make sure, okay, did you actually get it confirmed by the doctor? Here is a direct payment into your account. Boom. Overhead removed. This fires me up. This makes me feel like like fires me up in a good mm -hmm. way. Like I'm pumped to hear this because this is just making things so much more efficient. There's no paperwork. It's just like, hey, and it's helping the person that is doing this. You know, like, hey, we're just going to go and we're going to check and like, boom, you're going to get paid a small amount. That's great. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. And it really does um, 
the bureaucracy of uh, private health insurance is is absurd sometimes. So, you know, being able to simplify it like this. And a lot of times, too, so much stuff is because of fraud that people are worried about. So if if blockchain can do stuff like this, where I can, without having to deal with some insurance bureaucracy bullcrap, but if the insurance can also trust the information because it's coming directly from the hospital, right? Maybe it's the key signature in the hospital that's saying, hey, this person tested positive for this, this treatment costs this, and boom, automatically, system-based, like... Yeah, 100%. I'm with you, Adam. This is so much better because it removes inefficiencies from the system. Yeah, I think it's awesome. Um, all right. But anyway, that's a, that's a, that's it for practical applications. I thought it was an interesting uh, article to cover. I'm interesting, though. I'm interested. You have a story here about a court case and maybe some of the effects for an exchanges. So talk to me about this. Yeah, uh, Cryptopia, you guys may or may not have called it yet another one for Crypto Basic mm-hmm. uh, that uh, you should get your money off of crypto, uh, Cryptopia. The crypto exchange users got a big win in court, uh, in the New Zealand court uh, the other day. So for those who don't know, there was, uh, you know, in May 2019, the exchange went into liquidation after a supposed hack. And uh, we'll get more into that later, why uh, there's quotation marks around that. A lot of quotations. Yeah. It was around $30 million in New Zealand uh, NZD, which is equivalent of almost $18 million. Oh, baby. Yeah. So because the exchange operated as a trust by handling the cryptocurrencies on the behalf of the account holders and holding these in separate trust accounts, the, the justice, Justice Gendal, took the view that the digital assets should be classed as property. And he then said, I reached the conclusion that the cryptocurrencies here situated in Cryptopia's exchange are a species of intangible personal property and clearly an identifiable thing of value. Without question, they are capable of being the subject matter of a trust. So that meant that account holders should be reimbursed of their balances. And uh, that is pretty cool. That's great for them. I'm happy that, you know, it's not every day like like with BitConnect and all these other hacks, like that things kind of come back around. Yeah. The justice system doesn't always deliver justice. So when it does, it's a little sweet. Yeah, exactly. And to the quotation mark hacking, uh, apparent, the, the founder of Cryptopia, Adam Clark. So I don't know if I was necessarily involved with this show or maybe I was, but like you guys kind of maybe I missed an episode or something when this was going on. But I don't I didn't know that it was it was kind of this is basically the quote is a hacker somehow knew where everything was. Someone walked in with all the keys and deleted the logs on the way out. He said they didn't take the untraceable uh, currency. It wasn't about spending the money. It was about fucking the company. They had direct access. So I guess I didn't know that it was it was kind of like this extreme, you know, of an inside job, it seems. Hmm. And and uh, I just thought, thought that was pretty interesting. And you know what, man, like this, see, this goes back to a lot of these exchanges. Sometimes it's definitely bad intentions, people who are shady, who want to steal, like the guy who quote unquote disappeared and everybody knows that he didn't, right? Or that he's hiding out somewhere. Maybe by now he's dead. Um, (laughs) But the other thing is negligence, bro. Like there have to be some serious systems in place. Like I just don't understand how, you know, 
So sometimes you hear these stories about these exchanges that are, they have millions and millions of dollars of everybody's account, but like the way the hacks are executed, sometimes it makes it sound like it was just a couple of people chilling with their wallets, you know, like the technology is there. I feel like for you to have much better security, if you want to prioritize it, like if it's important to you, if you take it very seriously, if you think to yourself, Hey, my reputation as a business is completely based on my the trust that I have with my clients and I want to make sure that nothing happens here and I'm going to spend that money for security, I think you can do it, right? Sometimes these just sound so like off the wall. Like they had an idea to start an exchange. It blew up. They had a bunch of money. They kept the keys in a floppy disk that said, do not open. <laughs> like, I don't know, man. I recently watched uh, The Social Network uh, and I think it's a fantastic movie. Like I, I added it to my list because it got added to Netflix, so I haven't seen it. I, oh, no spoilers! It, I love it, but you know Trent Reznor scores it from Nine Inch Nails. He scores the entire film. Uh, Aaron Sorkin directed it, like uh, or uh, wrote it. I mean, everything about it is Jesse Eisenberg starring it. Love him too. Great actors, great writing. Okay, but it was really interesting to just see how a company goes from an idea or maybe of a knockoff of an idea to just kind of Boom. like snowballing to the point where you try to control things, but then because you're controlling those things, other things end up becoming out of control. And then you have to work on that. And then it just becomes like you need to hire people. And now you're not working on those things that you need to control the other things to control. And it's just right. madness. Right. And you get too big too fast. Yeah. And, and sometimes it's great. Like Facebook, Seems like, I mean, granted, we're not, maybe we're not now, we're not in the best of terms with Facebook, but then it was, it was cool to watch it kind of grow very fast and have someone actually succeed. It was, yeah. it was revolutionary, but, uh, you know, there's a lot of companies that can't handle the scaling. That's why scaling is so important. If yeah. you don't do it right, this is what happens sometimes where you're just like, yep, we got hacked or we didn't get hacked or whatever. It just becomes kind of mayhem. And and also, you know, it's worth noting, like the skill sets sometimes are different. So you can have like it takes a really unique set of skills and a unique type of vision to create uh, some of these new things. Right. Like when somebody creates a new company or has an idea or whatever that other people didn't think about, that takes a very unique set of skills. And all of a sudden, if you have those skills and you're super successful, you're now put into a situation where you need a totally different set of skills, managing people, uh, staying in control, like uh, growing a business, hiring good people. Those are all different skills, which you may have, or you may not have, or you may hire somebody to help you, which may be the best decision of your career or the worst. And like, there's so many elements, you know, like it's not just being good at one thing. Like you almost have to run good that you're good at multiple things. <laughs> I, I have a few things to say to that. So one, I read that, or I started as an audiobook that I loved called The Hard Things About Hard Things, which is by Ben Horowitz uh, of Andreessen Horowitz, a uh, massive, uh, I think they're VC fund. And one of the takeaways was you can be a great CEO of 10 people, but once it turns to a hundred, you're going to need a different skill set, most likely. And right. once it turns to a thousand, ten thousand, like it just, it just, it's a different type of management. It's a different mm -hmm. type of, you know, like ten people. You can know everyone. You can know everyone's names. Hundred, maybe you can still. Thousand, good luck knowing everyone's names. Being able, you, you don't have the time for it. And yeah. uh, and just as like my own personal experience, like I, I've been running an events company called Games and Grooves. Granted, it's not really doing no, there's no events going on right now, 
Um, but <laughs> sure, man, that's rough. It's it's been super fun, but it's also been a learning process. And every day, I'm learning something new. Like I didn't know how to put TVs together or something. Like there's small things. Like where I had to, I had, we we pick up TVs, we we unload or sorry, we take them out of the, you know the box. I have to put these stands in. I have to learn how to use a switch. Yeah. Like there's small things that I'm learning. And granted, they're not very hard. But it's like you have to dedicate all these things to right, doing that, it, and you're and the, and like that skill set wasn't there, but now it is. But and when you're running a small business, like you have all of these little problems, so you're being tested on your ability to learn new skills. Like that skill in it of itself, that's a skill in willingness. A, yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So just you just need so much, and it's just really interesting. I mean, it, it's cool in a sense to run a business, but also there's just a lot of times where you're just in over your head. And you know what? Uh, one more thing we've talked about. I think we talked about this maybe in our cognitive biases episode, which was a lot of fun. We should do something like that again someday. But like, you know, the Peter principle, for those of anybody who's heard of this or isn't familiar, it especially applies to corporate culture. And it's this idea that people get promoted. Like, why is there so much incompetence in mid and high management when in reality, like, corporations are highly competitive environments, right? You should have like all of these super performers going up and that's not what happens often. And the Peter principle is this idea that usually the people that are being promoted are the people who excel at their job without necessarily taking into account whether their skill set translates to the new job that they would have. So instead of thinking who would be our sales, our best manager of salesmen, which might be some specific skills about how to deal with salesmen, you just promote the best salesman. Oh, he's really good at sales. So we'll promote him, right? So what ends up happening is people who perform well get promoted until they get to a position where they no longer perform well because it doesn't really match their skill set. And then they get stuck there. They don't get necessarily get fired, but they don't keep going up because they can't shine at this job. That's the Peter principle. People getting stuck in mediocrity because we're only thinking about how they're performing now and not thinking about how their skill set translates to a new environment. Man, that's another thing. Another thing, hiring. Hiring, you know, is so tough. Bro. <laughs> under and and even that's why headhunters get paid big bucks to to do that. But they they have to be really good at it too, and you can be bad at it. And then now you're pawning off the the hiring to someone else, and now you're kind of screwed because that person didn't do a good job. It's just uh, dude. Last thing I'll say about this because I have to pawn off off of that comment. At the end of the day, I'm I'm more convinced now than ever. That the most valuable resource, the most important thing any like ever in business and life and everything is the people that you choose. It's everything. If you hire the right people in a business, you're going to succeed, but it's super hard to find the right people. The most important decision you'll make in your life as far as your happiness is probably going to be your life partner. You're either going to choose correctly a person that's going to make your life give you more growth, more happiness, more whatever, or you're going to make a, a, a mistake in in the choosing of people so like we are social creatures human ingenuity is the best resource human labor is where most of the economy really comes from uh human connection like choosing the right people is the most important thing in life there you go that is a wise word said by uh, kareem <laughs> himself and kareem you want to talk about the uh the next topic about some suing going on yeah 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 so actually you talked about a lawsuit i got one more lawsuit to talk about here it's hard to tell exactly where this is going to go but just interesting that it's out there this is a lawsuit that was brought in new york against 11 different cryptocurrency companies um and 
essentially they're saying that they violated cryptocurrency laws. Some of the companies that are being targeted here are big names, including uh, Binance, Tron Foundation, BitMEX, KuCoin. Um, and it's basically a group of investors coming together and they're filing multiple lawsuits. So these, this is like a collection of lawsuits, right? 11 cryptocurrency companies, uh, 42 different defendants in 16 different countries. Among the names, we are talking about uh, Brendan Blummer from Block One, Dan Larimer from Block One, Vinny Ling from Civic, Justin Sun, Zheng Zhao, or Cheng Peng Zhao, ZZ, <laughs> nice. uh, Binance. And Arthur Hayes from BitMEX. So these are big names. That's the only reason I'm kind of listing them out. This is not some kind of French thing. And essentially the core argument or one of the core arguments of the lawsuit is that they were misled. The investors were misled about the fact that they were buying unregistered securities. The companies basically said, no, these are utility tokens. You don't need to register them with the SEC or whatever. And these people are saying, hey, we were kind of being not educated and these people took advantage, right? It seems a little opportunistic maybe. Like I, I don't really know how much legs a lawsuit like this has. It seems very broad and far-reaching. Uh, the company, the law firm that is involved in this suit, does have some experience in the cryptocurrency space. They're also the law firm that um, sued Bitfinex in 2019 for market manipulation. I don't think they won that lawsuit. And they were also in the climbing case against Craig Wright. So these are definitely relevant players, but also possibly opportunistic players. This seems like a, I, I don't know, like if, if wouldn't the SEC have been on these guys already or? Well, yeah, I mean, maybe in it, but like sometimes it's really about standing jurisdiction. Maybe the SEC is slow and it's not picking fights. I mean, this is important because as we know, what is ruled in one case often has precedent for a bunch of cases, but I mean, look at the jurisdictions involved here. Just, uh, just to name a few, we're talking about companies individuals who that are based in live in operate in all right including china singapore switzerland israel japan canada estonia the united states so like you know if i was an american firm or if i was running one of these firms living in america maybe this lawsuit would be stressing me out a little more but even then it it feels i don't know it just seems like uh maybe this law firm is coming in and saying like let's see what we can do let's see what we can get involved in you know yeah not a fan i'm skeptical of it <laughs> yeah uh but anyway that's it for the news we do have a little bit of a short episode you guys can see what a difference it makes when we don't have brent he whoa, whoa, whoa we got we got we got a quick one we got a, oh, oh, oh uh, i'm missing uh, we, one we got a that's a scam oh that's you know what that's usually brent but adam stepped up and <laughs> found a scam so wow yeah, honoring brent so, i like it there you go so the decentralized exchange BISC, B-I-S-Q, was hacked for 250K and, and change, I guess. Well, I'll get to that. So basically, it was 4,000 XMR, which is Monero, and then three Bitcoin uh, were stolen from seven different victims. And it was considered a critical security vulnerability. And what is that's kind of saying is that this is it's a decentralized exchange, you know? So... I guess the attacker was able to intercept cryptos coming to users' default fallback address. Do you, do you know what a fallback address is? 
Because uh, I do not know, but based on the context of what you're saying, I would assume it's uh, it's like part of the smart contract where like if the swap doesn't go through, maybe it comes back here or maybe where the money's put on hold temporarily. Because with a decentralized exchange, there has to be some kind of mechanism to have each coin in some kind of medium escrow type space, right? Yeah. So basically it's like the default. So after that, the address... Oh, sorry. It's the address where the cryptos are sent to upon a failed trade, like you said. Yeah, there you go. Said. That makes yeah. sense. And basically, the exploit was the result of a flaw in the way BIS trades were carried out, not in the way that funds were stored. So I thought that that was just pretty interesting. Hmm. Um, it wasn't like this was BISC immediately saying. So it was like, yes, it is our bad, but it wasn't really, you know, it, it, it wasn't anything that like was. It was just like, you know, it was a critical security vulnerability. And uh, it does okay. seem like this is, this is, which is not obviously, it's not good. Okay. So here's it, a, like, I only accept this sentence if it's followed by, which is why we're going to cover the losses. Right. Oh, that's true. Yeah. Right. Like, like if they say, hey, listen, this was 100% our bad, which is why we're going to refund you and this will never happen again. Uh, okay. Like, that's the one scenario where then fantastic yeah yeah then okay you essentially paid a hacker to discover a security flaw but if they're saying like yeah 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 this was totally our bad but not like our bad on this end it was our bad on this other end so good luck next time <laughs> yeah so i mean this it's only happened a few days ago so we'll see if bis comes out uh it does seem good that bisque immediately was public about it you know uh just saying, hey, yeah, this was definitely something that was our mistake. And uh, we'll see if they decide to pay him back, like you said, which is, you're right. That is definitely the best thing to hear upon a hack. Where you're admitting it was your fault because of a security flaw, right? Yeah. Like if people got hacked because they clicked a button that said, send me your keys or something like that. Well, then, you know, user error, buddy. Sorry. Yeah, it's kind of your fault. But I yeah. mean, it's under it's sympathetic. We sympathize. Yeah, yeah you know? we feel sorry for you. That sucks. But yeah, that's, right. a, that's about it. Well, that was definitely a good update. We'll see how they end up handling it. See if there's any update or restitution for those people. As always, uh, you know, we're not financial advisors, but we can tell you that we hope you are washing your hands, staying safe. Uh, being mindful, staying yes. quarantined. I do want to just wrap before we completely wrap. I forgot. I did look up the Bank of America quote, and just to it was basically Julie Harris was the head of global banking digital strategy. Made the comments on a pub, podcast published by Bank of America, and it was basically like it, it was just saying, "Hey, yeah, we right." We, so it was an executive you know, of Bank of America then. Yeah, she, she's was. yeah. Okay, perfect. She is now fired. No, I'm kidding. I don't know. But, uh, <laughs> but yeah, so I just wanted to let you know about that. And uh, yeah, now we can go back to wrapping up this podcast and Sans Brent. I think you did a great job there, Adam, wrapping it up. So we're just going to wish you a great week. We'll see Brent soon and have a fantastic week. Yes, we are not financial advisors. We are just uh, crypto basic idiots. And uh, see everyone later. Bye.